Praise the Lord. What a privileged people we are to know. A mighty God. An awesome God. Not a God that is made by the image of some man's idea, figmentation of some man's imagination, but a God that is a creator of all things. We greet you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hopefully this will be the last Sunday that we will have to uh, stream. And this way, we'll be streaming, of course, for those who can't come, but Lord willing, next Sunday we are planning on uh, being able to uh, bring back the uh, first group of congregants. Um, alphabetically, we'll go from A to G and then break it up in three groups. So we're planning on that tentatively next Sunday if we're able to get masks for everybody. So if you have them, uh, please let us know. And if you can get them, please let us know that because I'm sure we all desire to be back together in the house of God. Certainly appreciate these brothers that have come and been here every service and the, the singers that have come and those that you see and those that you don't see in the booths in the back and upstairs as well. We so appreciate them for coming and making it available for you. But as Brother Lewis already, already expressed it so well, it's not the same without you all being here. And we certainly long for that day whenever we can all be back together. The Deacon Brothers have put together a letter for everybody to kind of know how we're going to be able to do it for a little bit, I guess, until they release us. So you'll be getting that. Also, if you've got availability to the Internet, you can go to the website and see it there so you kind of know what to expect. And it'll be a little bit different for a while, but God will help us. As I said before, I think we're all so hungry to come back to church. We'd come back in fully clothed hazmat suits if need be. If need be, I'd preach in a mask myself. I mean, whatever we've got to do to be able to be together. We know the Word is wonderful. We know singing is wonderful and streaming. I thank God for it. But God never intended for it to replace assembling ourselves together. And we so appreciate the opportunity to be able to do it. Um, let's read today, if you would, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. As we look into this world and see all that we can see about us, we truly can identify the attributes of the being who is in charge of all this chaos and mess that we see. And it is Satan. John so beautifully describes this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now remember what we've been speaking about for several services is that Satan is the opposite of kenosis. Our God came to the earth to be able to redeem us and make us his own by birth. In order to do this, he had to kenosis himself, empty himself out in order to become what was necessary to take the penalty of his own law. But Satan does not think that way. He thinks of pride, arrogance, what he can accomplish. He's a thief, he's a liar, he's a destroyer. So he does not think of humility, submission, grace, mercy, any of that at all. May God help us today as we look into the Word. Let's just pray together if you would. Heavenly Father, once again we count an opportunity to be able to speak of the words of life, Lord Jesus, to your children. We're just asking you, Lord, that for those of us who've been able to gather today, that you would help us, Father, 
for those that are gathered around their homes and in their homes rather than their computers or their smartphones or whatever they are. Lord, we know that people are listening from around the world and we pray that you just be mindful of the needs of all of your children. We know, Lord, that we've been through some troublesome times in the last six weeks or so. And we're thankful that your grace has kept us, and it's been difficult for us, Lord, not been able to assemble ourselves together, and we've had to give up certain other privileges and rights and things like that, but really the most important thing is you and your word, and us not been able to come together and have church, and how we've missed it, Lord. I pray that you would just help us, Father. For the different ones that are still on this lockdown, we pray for them. Father, we know Louisiana is still there. Other, other states are still there. We pray that you be mindful of your people, not only here in America, but around the world. Different countries that are experiencing different things. Lord Jesus, this thing may have taken us by surprise, but it certainly did not take you by surprise. Even, Lord, yesterday and today as I was reading on the uh, minister's chat, that I'm on, Lord, and different things that you've done during this lockdown. It's just marvelous to see people that have got saved, people that have got baptized, people that have come back to you, Lord, and we thank you. Father, we pray, whatever it is, Lord, that's holding this bride back back in the rapture, may you move on our hearts and help us to be ready, Lord. Speak to us today from your word, Father, would you? In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints, visible and invisible, visible audience, you can be seated. We certainly love you and appreciate you in the Lord. It, it's, a, it's a miracle to me when we look at the paradox of the new birth and see what the Lord God has done in each of our hearts to be able to bring our souls from a place of darkness and utter chaos that we were in into a new walk and a new life and being able to fellowship in the light of his word and yet remain an element of us that does remain in the ungenerate world, unpart that's unsaved, still in the darkness of the age that we live in. And this is the part that we battle with every day. And we know that our Lord Jesus, if He would have been able to come to this earth in the form of deity alone, He would have never been able to fully understand what we go through as mortals and how that we feel and how that we suffer. But He Himself, after receiving the fullness of the Spirit at the Jordan, if that was truly an antitype of what the saints of God would be able to identify with that are going to be saved in the church ages, then it lets us know that there is a dual personality or a split personality, as Brother Branham used both words, to identify the Lord Jesus. It was the very epitome of what His redeemed church was going to be like. Now, had the Lord Jesus been acting out as sons of God and daughters of God after receiving the fullness of the Spirit, and He would have lived in the realm of deity alone, then that would leave us pretty hopeless. Because that would mean every one of us today who have the Holy Ghost truly do not have what He had. But instead of Him being all deity, 
it was as a matter of fact in that great time of his life that he entered into the Emmanuel stage of his manifestation. Because Emmanuel was the prophecy, of course, of Isaiah 7 that said his name shall be called Emmanuel, mighty God. But then that contraction of that word was it was going to be God with us. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So if the epitome of the image of a true born-again son and daughter of God was deity alone, as some of our brothers would like to project to us that once you receive the Holy Ghost, your battles are over. That's not what I find in the Bible or in the message of the hours. As a matter of fact, our battle just starts when we get the Holy Ghost. And there's an element of us that we, we don't like to say it, but it's not born again. It is an element that contrasts the new birth from the soul. It is an element that we will deal with into the day of the change itself. And it is that part of us that still wrestles against the divine, the supernatural. It's that part in everyone that's visible here this morning and everyone that is not visible. It's that part of us that still wants to fall back on our own ability to handle our problems and to be able to come to the resolve of our own issues. And what it is, it's the part that we inherited by the natural birth that is still left in us once we've been born again. And Satan knew that if he could ever interject himself into the human race, that even though people would love God, they would still have this inner struggle. Thank God for the new birth. Thank God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And thank God for the power in the new birth to help bring the flesh subject to the power that lives inside of us. And yet it's something that we know we'll deal with every day of our life. And it's that something, as I said, that we fall back on, that we want to rely on our own abilities. We want to rely on our abilities to be able to go through problems and difficulties of life. And what is it? For the most part, it is the pride of life. It's that something that we just don't want to really totally, completely give up. Now I'm talking about those of you that are born again. Now once you become born again and the spirit of God comes into you that nature in your soul which was what Brother Random drawed on the blackboard was a snake and that thing is totally gone absolutely eradicated forever and it is identified as the sin nature but that is not the same thing as your human nature or my human nature that we are left to contend with and that's the very reason that we can be tempted by wrong we can be tempted by evil and that's the very reason we still have to repent because there is an element of us that is not born again. Now Satan knows that and that constant temptation of the pride of life still exists in every child of God today. Those three elements, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is something the Lord Jesus dealt with after receiving the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
Now, as I read to you a couple of weeks ago from the church age book, how that he said when he contended with himself, that part of himself was still there after deity came inside of him. Now, remember, he was the word made flesh when he was born. Isaiah 7 said, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son. He was that when he was born. But he was not the fullness of the attribute of the word made flesh until the river. But he still contended with himself after that fullness came inside that body. Now to wit that God was in Christ. God the Spirit was inside the human body, the Lord Jesus. And it was that way by which God would be able to take the penalty of his own law in his own body because God had gave man the penalty of disobedience to the law. There's only one way to rid that law and that is for the giver, the judge himself, to take the penalty of that law into himself and eradicate that law from the point of justice. And yet God is a spirit and God cannot die. God is not a body, God is not a man, but God is a spirit, but it must be a form of God by which he could take the justice of his own law into his own body. What did he do? So God then become in the form of a sonship in order to take the justice of his own law into his own body and say, I have met that requirement. Then from this point on, everyone that receives, hallelujah, receives what I have done. They are free from judgment. They will never come into judgment again. But this is the only way God can do it. God can't say, well, I'll tell you what, I changed my mind. I've just changed my, my mind about that whole justice thing. And really, I made up my mind from this point on. I don't think anybody has to do that no more. He cannot do that. He must take the penalty of his own law into a body that is absolutely human, but it must be also divine. Now, we know that this was actually reflected from the New Testament. I love the way Paul writes about it when he when he writes one of the very smallest books in the New Testament. And he entitles this book after a beloved saint which was called Philemon. Now Philemon had a servant who was called Onesimus. And Onesimus before he gave his heart to God Onesimus was Philemon's servant. And whenever he had actually got, he stole some goods from his master. And under the law, under the penalty of the law Roman law, this servant if he would have been caught, he would have actually been crucified and put to death. But somewhere, if you show the predestination of God, that whenever the servant leaves his master's house, and he actually runs into this preacher called Paul, and Paul was preaching, and this slave got saved. Then whenever he got saved and they begin to talk and he begins to inquire where he's from and he tells him, he said, well, actually, I've got a real bad past because I ran away from my master. Well, well, who is your master? Well, he tells him what the name of his master is. He said, I know him. I know him. I, I led him also to a further understanding of the Lord. And then this saved man, he wants to make all of his wrongs right. You know, and they, they, they're conversing back and forth and talking. And he said, you know, can, can, can you think there's some way 
you can help me because I know I, I need to make this right. So Paul takes it upon himself. Now I want you to notice in this how that he acts out the ministry of reconciliation in the same way that God did for us. And Paul writes to, to this brother and he begins to address the situation. And he says, now I know that you're a saint of God and he goes to describing the work that God has done for him. And Paul takes on the, the place of reconciliatory office in that he is becoming now a mediator. And Paul says, now this Onesimus, which I know was your servant, and I have found him and I, I've been able to convey to him the gospel. Now Paul is becoming the mediator between this slave and this owner. Amen. He's becoming the mediator and he takes upon himself this risk in, in which the mediator would stand. And Paul says, I know that Onesimus God has really done something for him and he's really had a walk with God. Now I am asking you that you would free this man from this past trespass. Now according to Roman law, if they would have found him, he would have been crucified. And Paul said, I will stand on his behalf. And if there is anything that he owes you, anything that he has done, this is what I want you to do. I want you to lay it on my account. And I will settle the account. So Paul actually is taking on the ministry of reconciliation because God had revealed to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 that that's exactly what the Lord Jesus done because we had all sinned against God. We were born that way. So we were born lost. And then after we become to the age of accountability, then not only were we born in that state, but we started doing it by our own free moral agency. And what did God do? God projected his own mediator which was both divine and human. So Paul knew both the master hallelujah and Paul knew the slave and Paul knew the law concerning the master and he also knew the repentant attitude of the slave. So Paul could become the mediator between the master and the slave and we know according to history of course that Paul was able to reconcile them and later they were able to meet and because of the mediatorial work of Paul, he stood right there and said, if there's any more that this man has done, lay it to my charge. That's our Lord Jesus. That he not only redeemed us when we were lost, but he is our high priest that stands before the presence of Almighty God and of the ministry of reconciliation. And though our sins come up before him and the devil accuses us, what does he say? Father forgives him. They don't know what they do. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Why? Because God loved us so much that he wanted to redeem us from the curse of the law. When we were totally helpless, we should have died. As Onesimus should have been crucified. But yet Paul said, no, I have the ability, I have the power to stand between this judge and the slave, and I am going to take it upon myself. So if there's any other thing lay it to my account. So what did God do? God eliminated us of future judgment so the bride will never stand before the white throne. The bride goes in a rapture in a body change. There is therefore now no condemnation.
condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Why? Because we have a mediator there this very day. Now, notice then with that great supernatural work that God has done in the soul and yet left us in these types of bodies. They're getting old, wrinkled, decrepit. Longer we live, the more goes wrong with us. We require surgeries. We require medications. We require all kinds of things to just keep us alive. Why? Because our bodies are not yet redeemed. And you see, this element then of the pride of life still lays in every individual. Brother Donnie, you say even the born again, even the born again. The Lord Jesus was tempted by the devil to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple to make himself a show off. Now, if the type would have been that Holy Ghost filled children would never fight this, then the Lord Jesus acted out the wrong part. He should have never been tempted again after receiving the Holy Ghost unless, of course, there was a type of a black dog and a white dog. Now watch it, you'll see the very type of that displayed in the temptation of our Lord. If all trouble would have been resolved, all temptation would have been resolved, then the Lord Jesus should have never been tempted after he received the fullness of the Spirit down at the River Jordan. But that's when his troubles really started. Is that right? So the Lord Jesus must feel this temptation of the pride of life. Now I know it staggers people, but Brother Bram tells us that Jesus was tempted by drinking. He was tempted by women. He was tempted in all points. He must allow himself to be tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But remember, he never, he wasn't born in sin. He was not conceived in lust the way we would have been, but he stooped, kenosis. He emptied himself to a spot that he would allow himself to stand on the same plane as every man or woman that was born through the womb of a woman. Even though he did not come that way, he allowed himself to feel the pull of that as it would pull on your eyes or pull on your heart or pull on your mind. And he was tempted actually when Satan offered him the kingdoms of the world. He was tempted to take them. He was tempted to throw himself off the pinnacle and to use God's gift as a measure of show off. Oh my. Now we know this is where it becomes very, very tricky because, you know, it's amazing how that the Spirit of God within our souls, and yet the Spirit of God cannot complete the work of God without our human instrumentality. Now every person that's stood up here today or sit up here and sang or played an instrument or those brothers in the back that's running the booth and all those things back there, it takes the human instrumentality in order for the glory of God to be able to express and carry out our life. Now, our sister that's so beautifully sang, God gave her a gift. There's no question about that. Brother Larry on the piano, Brother Harry on the organ, the other ones that have their gifts. But yet the gift can only be manifested and displayed 
through the use and the surrender of the human instrumentality. So somebody else sat down at that organ, it would be a mess. Somebody else sat down at that, that piano, it'd be a mess. You heard me playing the guitar, and it was a mess. So, but those who learn how to do that, they must use their fingers, their eyes, their ears, their mind. So the human instrumentality is coordinated together with the gift of God. Now, the human instrumentality many times also wants to share in the glory. Oh, praise God. Now, what if we tell the gift of God today to display itself without human instrumentality? I'll have to be the first one to sit down. Because now, I've got a gift of God. It's there. I believe God gave me that. And I've, I've got the Holy Ghost in my soul. But what does it require? Does expression will come through human instrumentality. So then what causes preachers to want to become exalted or singers or musicians or whoever more and, and them to feel like they're something or above other people? It's that human instrumentality that is used that tends to get exalted and puffed up. And what is the pride of life? It is a vain craving, a vain craving for applause or accolades of praise. Now we should appreciate men of God and, and daughters of God, singers and so on. We should uh, tell them how much we appreciate them giving their gift to God because you know what? They could turn right around and use that for country music, for rap music, for rock and roll and we should express that, should we not? But we also know that it is that flesh of ours that tends to get exalted. My, let God gift a preacher and give him, maybe Brother Ram called it this way, gift him a little above his brethren. And if he's not careful, he'll go to looking around and say, wow, well, look how many people stream our services. Look how big our church is. Look this, look that, look at something else. What is that thought? What is that talking? That is the pride of life dealing on his human instrumentality. Now look, if I don't study and I just come like my Pentecostal predecessors used to do and I'll say, well, you know what? I'm just going to preach my open letter. Well, what's that, Brother Donnie? Open your mouth and let her fly. So I remember some of the guys I said under the Pentecost, they never studied. They never even read a text from the Bible. A big portion of them never even brought a Bible to the pulpit. So they would just stand up and just preach and preach and preach. But so what if I just said, well, I'm no longer going to study and spend all these hours in the message, all these hours in the scripture. Wow, well, what difference does it make to give the meanings of words and, and go to all the trouble to put scriptures and quotes up on the screen? I'm just going to go the other way because I don't want my flesh to get in the way. What would happen? The gift inside of me would not be able to express itself in the way God wants it to be, but it will require my hands on the computer keys. It will require my mind to look and to sing. It will require my ability and then my battle is going to be after I've done all that and then people are blessed and helped and then this flesh will say, boy, look at there, you preached a good sermon. Boy, you, I'm telling you what, you done good, Louie, leading that service. Oh my, that will be your own personal battle and bringing your flesh subject to the word. So it can be the same way, of course, with people that pray a prayer. Somebody asks you to pray for them and you pray and in five minutes they call you back. Oh my, thank the Lord, the Lord heal me after you pray. Now you have to watch your old self because no doubt the Spirit of God used your mouth and maybe your knees and whatever more and then you'll begin to feel something rise up. Where does it come from? Not the soul, 
but the flesh. In what realm? Well, you're not lusting after something after the lust of the eyes. You're not lusting after something after the lust of the flesh. But it is the pride of life. The arrogance that's left in our humanity. Preach, Brother Donnie. Well, we know there's many uh, examples of such in the scripture, but I always think myself when I think of pride of King Saul in the Old Testament. He was one that struggled with, uh, you know, his very height itself is going to be a disadvantage against him because the Bible tells us he was head and shoulders above all the other people. So here is a man that was quite large to be an Israeli. And those of you that have been around Jews, you know, the, the, to be really tall in stature it's it's kind of an oddity they're not really gigantic enormous sized people many of them are not but here was the first king and he was both head and shoulders above all the rest of them so he already has the natural ability to look down on people you mark it down in your little history book and you see if the americans ever vote in a five-foot president oh we've had a few You'll never have another one. It's the way they relate to height. It's the way they relate to looking at a man. They want to look up to a man. So here is the first king. And everybody that come around him had to look up to him naturally. In the natural sense. Now when he starts out, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, I'm nobody. I can't do anything. But after he got in that position, then his pride began to get a hold of Saul. And whenever it did, then he found himself making mistakes, which we're all going to do. Israel had never had a king. He'd certainly never been a king before. So God was going to allow him mistake room, just like he does all of us. But Saul's pride of life becomes so full. You imagine as he began to come into this position. Oh my, I would say it was a lot harder each time he made these mistakes. Because you can see it in his nature that he just had a hard time of just saying, I am wrong. I have been wrong. But what did he do? He blamed the people. He blamed the people. He blamed this. He blamed that. And he even told Saul, Samuel rather, he said, come and go with me. And whoever don't come up with me and Samuel, hallelujah, you're wrong, boy. So he's identifying himself with the pride of life. Amen. Now, it's one thing, you know, David had his many mistakes, and sometimes when you look at David's mistakes, they were more horrific in the setting, but there was one thing David knew how to do, and that was repent. It's the zeal of this hour that we live in is to repent. And many message people are eat up of such pride and arrogance, well, hallelujah, that they cannot repent. Now remember the pride of life that we're talking about. It's not you being proud of your children, proud of your grandchildren, you know, God helping you accomplish things in life. That's not what we're talking about. But it's when Satan turns it around to where that, that pride begins to make you feel a little better than other people. There's no question about it. Our message ranks has that attitude above the rest of humanity. We begin to look at ourselves as being better. We remember many years ago there was a time in our ranks divorce was unheard of. Homosexuality? You've got to be kidding me. Not in our message. 
people backsliding by hundreds and leaving our message. Not our message. We sure can't say that today, can we? I wonder if God don't allow a lot of these things to happen to us in order to bring us back to the place of humility that we need to have and realize we're nothing great know how Lord it's your grace it's your mercy it's your pardon it's your forgiveness you see the proud do not have this through the pride of life to be able to humble themselves and the reason is this it's because of self-estimation it's the way they look at themselves. Now, this is one of the worst type of people to have in church, actually. It's a person who esteems themselves so very, very high. And when they do, they will always judge others by themselves, and they will never feel appreciated. They will never feel like their works and their abilities and so on and so on are made over enough because their self-estimation is so high and everybody gives them accolades and praise and so on, but it's always way down here. And really it should be way, way up here. What is this? Self-estimation. This is what Lucifer had in the beginning. This is the beginning of sin. Whenever he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God I will what is it self-estimation reverberating itself by the expression of words and he feels like he can be like God well pardon me for a couple of seconds I'm going to give him a few seconds to prove himself so Satan if you are like God I would like for you to take this handkerchief and transform it into something else. Now, my Jesus went to a wedding one day, and they ran out of wine. So they had some water pots there, which is used for cleansing purification. And the Lord Jesus told them to fill them to the brim. Mary had recognized supernatural in him and knew there's something different about him. And she said, whatever he says do, do it. Whether it makes any sense or not, don't really matter. Just go ahead and do what he said do. So our Lord Jesus took water which in time could have been come, become wine through the process of the rain and the saturation of the vine being able to pull it up and it could have become wine. So what he simply did was speeded up the miraculous. Amen. What was going to happen? So Satan, if you're God, then would you make something for us this morning? I mean besides chaos and divorce and uh, you know trouble and so on. Make something good for us. Oh, poor thing. So he lacks creative ability. So he's not really God after all, is he? He's a liar. I said he's a liar. But you see, a person that is so full of pride, that's what they really do. They live and express and think in a world of lies. Because their self-estimation of who they think they are, what they think they are, oh my goodness, praise the Lord. Now, it's the estimation of themselves and their position and their ability. What's in Romans chapter 12 verse 3, Paul said, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think, notice this now, not to think 
of himself. And these words are actually overestimate himself. Or to think more of himself than he's actually gifted to be. Now this is with uh, teenagers, this is with young people, this is with old people, it's with preachers, singers, musicians. It basically can affect every mortal on the face of the earth. Now reason that we argue and get in debates and things like that with one another, it's because of this right here. It's self-estimation. Well, I know more than Louis does. And Louis said, no, you don't. Yeah, I said, yes, I do. And Louis said, no, you don't, you knucklehead. You are. You're just from Kentucky. I'm from Tennessee. Well, I said, what in the world has that got to do with anything? The prophet of God was from Kentucky. So God must have loved Kentucky more than he loved Tennessee. Well, Louis said, no, well, the Vols is from Tennessee. And I said, what in the world has that got to do with heaven? So you just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and much of our stupidity that is reflected through such is what? Self-estimation. Amen, Brother Donnie. Now watch Paul, of all the great, deep, wonderful things that he could write to the church at Rome, he wrote for them not to think of themselves higher than they were. Though through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to say, but to think soberly. Oh my. Now what is this? This is a caution or an exhortation against, against the element of pride that is even among the potential bride people. Now with some it is their wealth, it is their position in society, or it's their position in family. Well, I'm a Reagan, I'm this or that or the other. My 84th cousin back on the other side come from the castle over in Windsor and tell me what good's that done you? Well, I got a great, 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 great grandpa and he was on the side of you and this is that's great. And what good has that done you? Not one bit of good. Well, I'll tell you one thing. My family come from Ireland and my family come from, well, my family come from heaven. You can't go no higher than that. But you see, the real child of God does not, does not anchor their soul and their expression of what God wants them to be. And well, my family 14 generations back goes here and my family family lives in this and my family is that and the other. No, you know that family that you were born of, that natural genetics and it departed nothing to you spiritually. As a matter of fact, every bit of our problems in life, most of them come by our natural birth anyhow. And Satan only uses things out here to affect what we already are. Well, praise the Lord. And it's that inordinate self-evaluation that we have that still anoints the pride of life. I deserve better than that. I shouldn't be treated that way. I'm better than that. Well, I, somebody got my seat. Somebody got my parking spot. Now, ain't that something? I didn't realize there was any parking spots with name on them except for mine. <laughs> Mine is reserved. <laughs> Everybody else is just whosoever will. But because of the way we estimate ourselves, 
Well, I thought the organ was a little loud today, didn't you? Nope, I thought it was perfectly fine for me. Well, didn't you think the air conditioner was a little bit cool? Yeah, I do not like it. Well, honey, when you're at home, you adjust it the way you suit yourself. But you're not at home when you come here. We got all the rest of these people, thank the Lord, starting Sunday, that we are able to gather back together again. And what causes church problems? Self estimation. Well, I think and I believe and I and I oh my goodness if you was worse what you thought you were in gold we could pay off our new facility and have money left over. But you can't get money for pride. You get hell for pride. Boy, it's getting warm in here. Did y'all forget to turn the air on? You see, the only real character that a born-again child of God wants is that which comes by new birth. Notice Paul and the word that he uses here, that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but to think soberly. I love this word. Think soberly. Be in the right mind to exercise self Control. Now remember, not Holy Ghost control. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But God is not going to do that. That's left up to us. This is what Jesus did. This is what kenosis is. And this is what Satan is the opposite of. And this is the opposite of what your natural birth is. Because whether or not you want to say amen to it, every one of us are born between Satan and Eve. So that makes your daddy the devil and your mama Eve. Well, praise the Lord Jesus. And that thing that you worship and love so much is nothing but an old hybrid. That's right. Notice, be in your right mind to exercise self-control. To put a moderate estimate upon one's self. I wonder if every person in Happy Valley and every person in the message would be honest and give a real estimate of themselves and give a real self-appraisal on how important they are to the message, how important they are to the church, how important they are to the move of God. I imagine we'd never stop laughing. If we got to read them, it would be daily jokes. I mean, we wouldn't need no jokes from anywhere else. We would just drag out the self-estimation sheet and just read what people think about themselves. But we know the hypocrisy of, of us, of our humanity, that if anybody else was going to, of course, read it, we would always undervalue it because we think that's humility. That's hypocrisy. If you think you're worth 87 billion spiritually, go ahead and put it down. Then God can help you humble yourself from 87 billion down to 84 cents. Instead of fake writing down a fake humility, well, I ain't worth nothing. I'm nobody. And a lot of the people that say that are lying. They do not believe it because if they don't get their way and they don't get what they want and if I don't call them as soon as they think I ought to, they get mad on a hornet at me as the pastor. That don't sound like 84 cents to me. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. Notice, to put a moderate estimate upon oneself. To think of oneself soberly. To curb one's passion. 
Oh my. So what is kenosis in? It's still ongoing. Kenosis never happened one time. And that was the end of it. It's still ongoing in the world today in the form of the bride. Actually, this is part of the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. I hope you listen to me. The prophet of God said the ministry of Jesus has never stopped. He said it is still going on today in the ministry of his body. Now, I believe in a continuing ministry. I do. But it ain't the ministry continued on to Brother Branham or any other of these men that have gone on to their reward. It's the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ. But it's not just raising the dead, laying hands on the sick, and casting out devils. It is the ministry of reconciliation. It is the ministry of kenosis, of us constantly evaluating and evaluating and evaluating and been able to say, God, help me. Help me, Lord, to stay little in my own eyes. Oh, the prophet said if God can find a man that he can use, and the more that he uses in the littler that he gets, and the more that he uses in the littler that he gets, but with most people, the more God uses them, the bigger they get in their own eyes. And their price increases, 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 increases on their self-estimation. I hope every one of us, visible and invisible, realize we are all replaceable, including the pastor. No doubt people thought there's no way in the world the bride could go on without the prophet. But guess what? We have... There's been great men that's come among us and lived out their generations and they've gone. Brother Louis, if time goes on, you and I'll be replaced. Every one of us are replaceable. Oh, but Brother Donnie, my wealth, my value of who I am, if you can really find it and adjust that moderate thought of yourself into the position of God, what a revelation it is from God that our thinking actually matches our God-given gifts. But you see, it is satanic to think above your gifts and your value. Because Lucifer, that great angel, looked at himself and said, I can be more. I am greater than this. I'm God's right-hand man. But I've done looked at my assets. I have estimated my value. And the way I look at it, I'm right up there, if not above, the Almighty. Well, praise the Lord. And the sad part about this sermon is this morning, every one of us that are here today who have the Holy Ghost that is visible, every one of you that are invisible, whether you're in France or Switzerland, Africa, wherever you are in New Zealand, that are listening to these services, the Canadian brothers and sisters before they have service, every one of us after our new birth are still left with that. And what does the pride of life do? The pride of life wants to always add another digit on the end of your personal evaluation. Oh, especially when God uses you. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Oh my, I've got a ministry. Man, I pray for this person and they got well. I pray for that person and they got well. Careful. Careful. Careful that you're not adding zeros to your bottom line instead of his. Bottom line. Boy, Brother Donnie, I'll be glad when you get done with this part of the series. You won't be near as glad as I will. Because these ain't things I enjoy preaching. 
But I figure we need it since the Lord gave it to me, so I'm going to follow it. You see, the objects by which we make our release of the pride of life in sometimes are the elements that God will allow to crumble before us. Sometimes if it's a person that's a prayer warrior and their pride of life becomes so exalted and they begin to think, praise God, about everybody I pray for. Amen. I hate to tell you, but if your pride gets involved, you're going to start seeing some of those answered prayers unravel. And you're going to start seeing some of your prayers not being answered. Because God does not do these things to feed our pride. He does it for His glory. And His glory alone. Amen, Brother Donnie. Oh, praise God. Is it wrong for a Christian now to recognize their gifts? They should. Do you understand that it's just as equally wrong for a person that is gifted and they hide their talent and they say, well, I, I can't sing like, 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 like Sister Kayla. I, I can't sing like her, so I'm not going to sing at all. No, that's, that's wrong. There's only one like our sister. She's gifted from God and she sang beautifully. Amen. Thank God for our brother Harry. But everybody is not going to be a Harry, right? So, well, I can't sing like Harry. The people don't respond to me the way they do to Harry. But you're not going to answer for Harry's talent. You're going to answer for your own. So some people, well, I can't sing. I just can't do it. I, I'm not. So you're going to bury your talent then. And when the Lord comes, he's going to require it of you. So that person is wrong. And maybe they've seen people get proud and arrogant. I ain't going to be like that. I ain't going to be like that. So they go upon to the other side. They get the shovel, they're mad at and they bury their talent. I'm being humble. You're being disobedient. The balance is always in the middle of the road that we don't get proud and we don't get arrogant and we don't bury what we have, but we use what we have and we recognize what we are. We recognize our gifts, our abilities, our limitations, and we're able to recognize and thank God for those who are gifted more than we are. Ooh, boy, that gets tough. I don't mind telling you, I preached conventions before whenever there was preachers there, and the jealousy was so thick you could cut it with a knife. I think that's terrible. Ain't it, Brother West? It's a a terrible thing when preachers or singers or musicians, you'll see it in funerals. If you've got two or three churches that's involved in funerals, oh my goodness, don't tell me I've been in the preliminaries when you didn't know nothing about it. Trying to sort it all out. Well, our church people is going to sing. Our church is going to sing. Oh, my Lord, we're going to have more than just this one person, of course, if they don't get a hold of themselves. Because this one wants to be heard, and that one wants to be heard, and that Well, what is it? Pride of life. You think of all places. But Lou, you've been right there with me sometimes. You know it. The pride of life should be dead at a funeral. You see, nothing causes more damage in a local assembly or a body than it is a believer. And I will say a believer that assesses their value so high. And they go among the people and cause discord. And the greatest discord is in their own heart. Because they're never recognized for what they are. 
but Donnie never, never recognizes me. Oh. Could it be that I'm looking at the proper value and you're looking at the wrong one? <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. I'll finish the rest of the sermon back here in the back room. <laughs> there ain't very many here, but there's still enough to flog a preacher. <laughs> and you see, a person like this will always overestimate, overrate, and always step beyond what they're gifted to do. And then when they fail, it is always somebody else's fault. It's never theirs. It's always somebody else's fault. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Notice in James chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, James, of course, you know, James, his, his revelation toward the Gentiles and stuff never was quite what Paul's was, but yet James had an insight as far as to the aspect of the will of God and things. And he brings into here in verse 13. And he said, go, go to now, you, you that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. Now what she's dealing with the pride and arrogance that goes into a spot to where people can become, well, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Notice the mindset that James catches of them, that they're leaving out the will of God. Now these are believers, of course. They're leaving out, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, would you want me to enlarge my business or would you want me to scale down? But they're now in control of their life. They're in control of their business and so they make their personal plans in verse 13. And James says, well, you know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life it is even as a vapor now the bragging part of the pride of life overexerts itself in verse 13 but James brings them back really to what they are we're all set right here this morning and those of you that are streaming we're only one breath away from facing death itself we're only one heartbeat away a heart attack or whatever more in a moment of time we're all gone and then our plans of tomorrow next week next year it amounts to nothing. But he said, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Aren't you glad we got hope beyond that? Thank God. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Now what is he doing, Brother Louis? He's bringing back and helping the people of God reevaluate not only themselves, but the shortness of the span of life that they have here on the earth that our life is not our own it does not belong to me my life is not mine your life is not yours and James said as it comes as a vapor and it's there and just a little bit it disappears and it's gone but he said we ought to say according to the will of God what does that do that brings us then back to the foot of the cross it helps us to crucify lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and the pride of life instead of us saying well I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm thinking of doing this he said no you're going to say if it's pleasing to the Lord I'd like to do this but you see Satan could not live underneath that if God wants me to God what do you want me to do God is this your will Satan can't stand that and there's people in message churches that can't stand it I'm my own boss I'll do what I want to do and you'll go to hell Amen. that attitude got Lucifer kicked out of heaven don't tell me God's going to let you back in with the same attitude 
If he kicked the devil out of heaven with that attitude, you think he's going to let Louis go in? And Louis said, I'm going to do what I want to do. God, you ain't going to tell me what to do. Well, it's, it's just a satanic nature. Amen. Notice this in verse 16. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. By saying what? I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do something else. And yet James categorizes this in boasting. Why would we have ever thought that would have been boasting? And what's amazing is that he uses the same word here. The word for boasting is the exact same word that John uses for the pride of life. Alazonia, look at it, pride, empty, braggart talk, an insolent and empty assurance. You mean just by saying, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do something else, and I'm going to expand my business, and I'm going to build a bigger church, and I'm on board, we're going to enlarge this, and we're going to do so and so and so. When we are saying that, we are using braggart, empty, insolent, braggart talk. Oh my goodness. And you mean God considers that an insult? Yes, we've left out if it's pleasing to the Lord. Or at least that's what I'm praying about. Or I hope that's God's will. Don't you see what you're doing? Then you're submitting your desire under the declared will of God. And maybe right now you don't know it. And you're saying, well, I'm thinking about doing this and I'm thinking about that. But I'm praying about it. You're doing that, brother. When you're saying that, sister, you're saying, yes, I'm praying about it. I'm thinking about going to ETSU. Or I'm thinking about, I'm praying about that. Praise the Lord. That's what he wants to hear. So many of our young people, they graduate out of high school and they say well I want to become this you should never do that you should go to him who brought you on the earth and say Lord what do you want me to do Lord I'd like to be a nurse but is that what you want me to do I'd like to be a doctor Lord I'd like to be this I'm so glad brother Branham didn't follow what he wanted to do brother Branham wanted to be a trapper Oh, I'm so glad he didn't follow his desire. God didn't want him to be a trapper. God wanted him to be a bride dresser. Amen. A prophet of God that would bring the word and bring a cross of the word to dress the bride in for a rapture. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. James wanted to reiterate to them again. Don't assert your will and say, well, I'm in charge of my life. Self-centered bragging must be replaced by God-centered rest and trust. You say, friends, this is why when people get a bad diagnosis from the doctor or whenever they're hit with situations that they don't understand, they lose it. They go all to pieces. You know why? They are not in control. And when they can't control everybody in their family and everybody around them and all their situations, they lose it. Well, get ready. If you're a Christian, you're going to lose it. Because God's going to break that thing off you if he has to whoop the fire out of you. If he's got to whoop you every day from here to the rapture, he's going to get that out of you because he cannot allow that attribute of Satan to ever be in the rapture. 
And many people have it stronger than others, and you might as well say, man, every one of us have an endowment of it, but yet there's some that fight it stronger than the others, and it's constantly there. But my brother, sister, I don't care how big a dose you got, there's deliverance by the power of God. Maybe you got a teaspoon or a quarter teaspoon, or maybe you got a 55-gallon drum. You're a bigger miracle. But no matter how much you got, by the grace of God, we can bring this under control to our life becomes, what are you doing tomorrow? Lord willing, we thought we'd go up to Rhone Mountain and have a picnic. But if you're proud and insolent, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, well, don't you think you ought to pray about it? <laughs> God gives me enough sense to make up my mind. God gives you enough sense to make your mind subject to His Word. I was going to buy a little car years and years ago, and me and Carol... We still lived in Kentucky, and boy, I was going to buy an automobile from a preacher guy that I know, and he wasn't a crook. Let me say that and clarify that real good. He had a car lot, and he wasn't, he wasn't a crook. So we went in, we looked at this little car, and it was a little Volkswagen that modified the front end on it, had one of them funny-looking front ends on it. Me and Carol both liked it. So we looked at it, and we looked at it, and we drove it. My cousin worked there, and he, he's the one who had done the work, so I knew it was a good car. So this guy took us into the finance place, you know. Now, Donnie, you know what he all saying? I said, well, I said, we lost a car. I said, nah, I think we can be able to afford it and everything. I said, but I'd like to pray about it. Now, this guy, of course, was my elder, and he's a preacher. He'd been preaching a lot longer than I had, and, of course, knew a whole lot more than what I did. At least thought he did. So he, he knew a whole lot about God and everything. He said, now, Donnie, God gives us enough sense to be able to figure out our bills and figure out how much money you have at the end of the month. I said, I agree with all that. But I said, God knows whether that's a lemon or not. And that ain't going to be on all that figuring I'm fixing to do. And I said, God foresees the future. I've got a, you know, a decent job right now paying the wages and all that. I said, but God sees the future. I said, I'd rather have his will than your spiritual understanding of telling me that I can afford it. All I need is a nod from him. That's right. Oh, I'm so glad I waited. Oh, he looked down on me, thought I was dumb and stupid, but that's okay. The Lord told me to go ahead and get it. And I'll tell you what, I held on to it for years and years and years. But one time in my ministry, I got was a little bit too big for my britches. And I got to a spot to where, you know, we, we needed a new van driving around well brother Louie I didn't have to pray over it so much I thought because I could afford to be able to buy it that's before I came here years and years ago so I went up to a car lot up in Somerset brand new oh my really nice van and was going to travel around in it and ah oh, man we walked around and it was all shiny and all striped up you know on the inside and outside really pretty so we went in sat down signed on the dotted line guess what I bought myself a burgundy striped lemon Week after week, it was in the repair shop. Donnie got a good whooping. You know why? Donnie deserved it. It's more dangerous when you get to where you're not as dependent on him. Now you can make your own decisions. That's when there's more danger, my friends. Let me have a few more minutes, can I? Y'all's a good congregation to preach to. God bless you. Psalms 101 verse 5. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Now, I looked real carefully to make sure there was not an expiration date on this scripture. And I didn't find one. So for those of us in the message who do this, this scripture is still active. We privily which means in privacy, slander our neighbor. God says, I'll cut you off. Him that hath 
a high look, which is proud, lofty, tall, exalted in station, or haughty. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. As I said, no expiration date. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And everybody will say. But can we say it on the next two words? Pride and arrogancy. The fear of the Lord is to hate pride and arrogancy. And the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 13, 10. Only by pride cometh contention. But with well, the well advised is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone that is proud in heart. Now listen how serious this is. Is an abomination. This is the same word that is used in Deuteronomy 22 for women wearing men's garments. So if we would see a woman with a pair of Levi jeans on and would say, that's an abomination he has a God. So is a proud heart. We see two men holding hands. So I was coming out from the airport not long ago and there's a car in front of me. And they stopped at the stop sign there coming out of the airport. Two men. And they got to the stop sign. They reached over and kissed each other. Oh, Lord, I about got sick of my stomach. I got queasy. That makes us sick, don't it? How come pride in the heart don't? Because we categorize abominations. Abomination is an abomination. Whether it's a homosexual, whether it's a bobbed-haired woman, a britches-wearing woman, or a woman that's got long hair and had britches on in 40 years and got proud and arrogancy in her heart, can you imagine God looking at all three in the same way? Oh, my Lord Jesus. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction. If you'll study the fall in Genesis, you'll find the consummation of this scripture right here where it ties. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, may I bring it to the setting of Genesis, the fall. When she exalted herself, proud and arrogant Eve, I'm talking about. She didn't need her pastor, Adam. Proverbs 21, 4, a high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Let me close with these words of Jesus. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, 
blasphemy, pride, haughtiness, arrogance, the character of one who with a swollen estimate of his own powers or merits. I hate to tell you, friends, but I'm afraid a lot of us message folks have got a bad, swollen up condition. We're all swollen up. But it ain't because we're so full of the power of God. We look down our nose at every denomination. We look down our nose at people that ain't dressed right. I'll tell you what, let's, let's, do, let, let's catch the fish first and then we'll clean them. Let's not try to clean them first. Let's catch them and then let's clean them. I don't know how you feel. If I seen a woman painted up and look like a Jezebel, if I met a man with a fifth of whiskey, Brother Lou, in his hand, if a man asked for prayer, I'd pray for the man. If he smells so bad, I'd have to put my hand over my mouth. If he said the stench of alcohol and cigarettes and all mixed together, we should never get so high and mighty that we say, oh, I don't want them touching me. Now you're acting like a Pharisee instead of Jesus. The Bible says the common people Heard him gladly. Can you imagine whores, prostitutes, liars, and drunks felt more comfortable around Jesus than the Pharisees did? The Pharisees didn't want to be around him because he touched lepers. He let women with issues of blood touch him. But they was too high and mighty practicing social distancing. <laughs> but it wasn't with the COVID virus. It was the sin virus of self-righteous pride and hypocrisy. Oh, Jesus. Notice it's a swollen estimate of his own powers or merits. Looks down on others and even treats them with insolence and contempt. Jesus said all these evil things come from within and defile the man. James goes on to say in James 4 and 6, I'm going to close. But, praise God, he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. Now look at what this means. To range in battle against. So when our church, our family, ourselves as an individual move into this realm of pride, God declares a war against us. If Happy Valley Church, because of our number or because of whatever, we ever enter into a state of pride, Almighty God won't be fighting for us, but He'll be fighting against us. I don't want Him against me. I can deal with hell, I can deal with Satan. I can deal with his demons, but I can't fight against God. And I don't want to. I don't care if we get so big that we have to tear down walls and build again. And if we do this, don't never keep numbers. Don't never keep size. Don't never keep none of that in front of us. Let's keep the cross. The only great one among us is him. We're deserving of hell. If we got what we deserved. God resisteth the proud. To range and battle against. To oppose oneself. To resist. But I love James closing words. And these are mine. 
But God giveth grace unto the humble. You know why I can't give grace to the proud? They don't think they need it. They don't think they need it. They could be standing there with so many needs in their life and they're not even raise their hand for prayer. They can be so sick and God moving in the prayer line that they'll never get up to ask for prayer. I've got faith. I don't need to bless God. You mean you've got pride. Just go ahead and admit it. You've got pride. More than likely, I've cast out devils more than you all. I've prayed for more sick around the world. I just got a testimony this week of a guy. You've heard me talk about the meeting that I had in Kenya under the tree. For whatever reason, the brother just felt in his heart this week, 20 years ago when I was there. And he was in malaria. Couldn't even be in the hospital. Couldn't even be in the service. He was in the hospital. But his daddy, which was an interpreter, as I'd finished the service there that day under that big tree because we didn't have a building. And his daddy said, my son's in the hospital with malaria. Desperate situation. Would you pray for him? And he said, I want to let you know, God answered that prayer that day. He said, we've been streaming the services. And he said, God healed me of malaria. As you know, it's incurable. It's with you all of your life. But apparently God didn't diagnose it that way. So what does God do? As long as we can stay humble and small where he can use us. I pray for more people more than likely than all y'all will ever do together. So does that give me a right to be proud and arrogant? I better stay humble my whole life. That puts me in a more dangerous spot. It puts me in a more dangerous spot. That self will say, look, you pray for this and look. I get them all the time. And you can ask Brother Louie. I tell him when the people say, Brother Donnie this, Brother Donnie that. Don't you even read it. Is that right, Brother Louie? Why? I don't want me and I don't want you giving no honor, no glory that goes to God to any man's flesh. It belongs to Him. I believe we're going to see even greater than we've ever seen if we can stay humble and little. Small. Brother Bram said, God, harvest time is here and God is looking for tools of the harvest. Men that He can take in His hands and use for the tools of harvest. He said, we long to see apostolic times move among us. We see it, but we want to see more. How many wants to see more? Amen. Let's bow our heads. God bless you, saints. Heavenly Father, I know these sermons don't make us rejoice, really. Lord, just fixing to walk out the door this morning, I just kind of let a sigh, and Carol said, what's that for? And I said, the burden of the service today. Lord, to bring these types of services, it's, it's the burden, it's heavy, it's hard, Lord. But Jesus, we want to be like you, Lord. Oh, what preacher don't want to be a man that lays hands on the sick and casts out devils? What preacher don't want to have visions and dreams and be able to stand up and I foretold this and I foretold that and I foretold something else? We know a man like that will never get far in God. He's so full of himself, he ain't got no room for God. But Lord, the key is being able to humble ourselves. 
And kenosis was that you who were the eternal, as the prophet tells us in the church book, you were the Father. Praise God. And we know the Lord Jesus could not be his own father. But it did not say you could not be your own son. And you were. You loved fatherhood. So you come in the form of sonship. That body would be, as it were, the snake on the pole. It would be bruised and beaten, hit and afflicted. This is why the demons were confused. They could not believe that was God. They just couldn't believe God would allow anybody to spit in his face. God would not allow anybody to smack him or reach over and grab a hold of his beard and jerk a big big handful of hair out of his face. That couldn't be God. Because the mystery of kenosis was hid until the manifestation of it. It's still a stumbling mystery today, we know, to many people. It's what makes them miss the revelation of the Godhead. This is the key to understanding the Godhead. It's kenosis. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for becoming that for me. It was one thing for you to become a man. It was something altogether different for you to become a sinner. Not that you sinned. But you took my sins upon you. It was one thing for you to be in type as being a lamb. When the Holy Spirit came upon you in the river and went inside you. It was another thing for you to hang as a serpent. The very symbol of Satan in the garden. Oh God. A serpent on a pole. Lord God. And the cross was the pole. And your body was the snake. Oh Jesus. And all you ask us to do is just humble ourselves a little bit. We just fuss and fight and complain and gripe about it. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Father. We want to be like you, Lord. Lord God, I desire to see you expressed in my ministry in a greater way. I've seen you, Lord, me lay my hands on people in the middle of heart attacks. And I've seen you stop the heart attack. I've laid my hands on, hand, on people before God and cursed growths in their body and then be passed in a few days. A brother from our church come up some time ago, Lord, with a prayer calls that somebody he worked with had a baby that was born. It was missing a valve in its heart. Through prayer, him taking that prayer cough to the man and he laid it on his baby. In less than three days, you had created a new valve in that heart. Doctors were stunned. It's even in medical record books. Still with no explanation for it. I love to see you do that, Lord. But Jesus, I want to see you live yourself through me in the act of kenosis. 
Lord, to where maybe somebody has an ought against me or wrong, and maybe I've got a right. That's Brother Branham. I heard him say it day before yesterday. Maybe I've got a right to be angry at him. Maybe I've got a right to get back at them. But I don't want that in my spirit, he said. Live through me, Jesus, to take the upper road, the high road, to be the one sometimes to make the apology when in reality I know I wasn't even wrong. Lord, as we do cry in our hearts to be more like you, but do we want to be like you this way, Lord? Help us, Jesus. Thank you, Father. May the work of kenosis be ongoing, Lord God, that we can empty out ourselves. Oh, we know, we know how we are. It's much easier for us to go up to a preacher and have the preacher to pray for us that God will help us to kenosis ourselves. But that's not the way you've done it. And that's not the way it'll happen to us. The Father never filled you with the fullness. And then automatically it just came the easy way. But you had to die to yourself. Help me, Jesus. Anybody here today visible? And those of you that are out there invisible to us, you'd like to raise your hand and say, Lord, make me like that too, would you? Make me like you, Jesus. Help me to be a peacemaker, Father. You understand what the act of peacemaking is? Display of kenosis. Humble yourself. Display of kenosis. Pray for those who despitefully use you. What is that? Display of kenosis. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. We worship you, Lord God. Sing something here. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless your name, you Jesus. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. Don't take my hands and heal some, Lord. Don't take my voice and cast out devils. But let kenosis live through me, Jesus. Lord, I give my life to you, Father. I'm not a young man no more. God, I don't have the strength that I had years ago. But God, I give myself to you. For what I am, Lord God, help me, Jesus. Help me, God, to always look at myself. May the evaluation of my life that I have in my mind match your sheet. Oh God, may my gifts, whatever I am, Father, help me, Lord God, I pray. Hallelujah. Let's sing it this way, love through me. Oh, love, brother Louis, through me, Holy Spirit, love through me.
say, Brother Wes, we've heard the word of the Lord today. There a tremendous, tremendous message that will mold us and make us into what Christ would have us to be. been so good to be here. Looking forward to seeing you folks, Lord willing, next Sunday, but we've got one more service to go before that, but it's going to be great. I believe we'll look at coming to church in a brand new set of eyes. I believe we will. Sister Caitlin, I want to impose on you. I'd like for you to come back up and do that song. The last one you did this morning. Could you do that for us? If you would. It's my desire. It's my desire. I know it's your desire to be like Christ. Amen. Just sing that one more time as she prepares and finds the song, Brother Harry. Oh, through me. Spirit flow through me. I will be your house to dwell in. Flow through me. I will be that good help her sing this song this morning because it's such a testimony it's my desire to be like him it's my desire
Redemption draweth nigh. Signs of the times are everywhere. We believe that with all of our heart. We're looking at the coming of the Lord. Amen. Let's see if we can do that. Oh, yes, now signs of the time are everywhere. Time are everywhere. 
I'm gone. 
gonna be ready to go I'm gonna be ready It will take place But it does not matter If I'm walking in His grave Oh, I, I want to be be ready. 